0: You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Um, when we talk about, like I just was, talk about growing, you know, we're in this season of growing at RCC. I've been going through 1 Corinthians, and um, I was just praying about, like, what God has for us. And I want to spend some time specifically talking for the next few weeks about what it means to grow in Christ. What do I mean by that? When I talk about growing in Christ, it means for us, what we believe at River City Church is that growing in Christ means that we're becoming more like Jesus in every way, okay? It means that when we say connect, grow, serve, grow is the part of our church that we lend ourselves to developing in people's lives the ability to follow Jesus, to act like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to have a heart like Jesus had. So in every way, when we think about, when you think, when you hear me say grow, what I want you to hear is me saying us together becoming more like Jesus in every way, okay? Um, but for many of us, whenever I say grow, when I talk about that, we use the words like discipleship and we start to believe or we start to think, well, that means like, oh, I need to act like Christ. And the measuring stick for growing becomes how, I, how much I can act like Christ On the outside, because that's what people see, that's what's important, that's where I get approval, attention, affection from. And so, discipleship or growing in Christ often begins to look like us kind of doing things so that we can act like Christ, but we're not being transformed so that we're living and needing Christ in our lives, which is really important. I was talking to, uh, yesterday we were at the beach with the Harmons who lead our church plant at Ocean City Church, and Beth, I was telling her about this, about growing, and immediately she started singing this song. Now some of you, the Gastons will know this song, okay? Because they went to the same church. Okay, this is the song. It goes like this, and you learn this as a kid. This, This is like viral on YouTube all over. Okay, it goes like this. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day. Pray every day, read your Bible, and pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 grow. So that's the song, okay? So read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. That's the formula. Okay, here's the the second verse. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. (laughs) Neglect your (laughs) Bible, neglect to pray, and you'll shrink shrink, shrink. Can you believe that? That's a real song. It's blown up. It's viral on the internet, but that's what we're, that's what we've been taught, and that's what we've learned, and there is in us this mentality that if we do these things, we will grow, and God will love us, and if we don't do these things, oh boy, because best said this, he goes, and when you're singing the song about not praying and not neglecting, or neglecting prayer. When you neglect your Bible, forget to pray. They go, when you neglect your Bible, forget to pray, you will shrink. So they're like waving a finger, and that's the image we have of God in our mind, that if we want him to love us, if we want to grow, we have to do these things that our behavior or that God's attitude towards us is conditional on our behavior. And then when we don't do those things, God's kind of up in heaven like an angry parent, like, oh boy, Antle's just gone off the deep end, not sure Jesus can rescue this one. So you better start, stop neglecting your Bible, Antle. Stop neglecting prayer so you can grow, grow, grow instead of shrink, shrink, shrink like you are doing, right? I mean, we have this mentality. And so as I've been praying and thinking about teaching us what it means to grow in Christ, I think it's important that we're grounded in a truth and in a reality that's bigger than the things we do. Because we can do all the right things, look like, and learn to act like Jesus, but it's just acting. It's just acting because it's not, we're not being transformed from the inside out. Christianity is not about acting like Jesus. It's about living with Jesus. Living in a way that we demonstrate that we need Jesus. Jesus. That's how we grow. When we live in a way, when we live with Jesus, and we live in a way that we demonstrate we need Jesus every day. And again, when you take this to the next level, what's happening is in an effort, and this is crazy how the enemy does this. This is crazy, is we start to act like Jesus. We start to do the things that Jesus did. And what happens is we actually become our own savior We don't need Jesus anymore. We start checking, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to read my Bible every day, I'm going to worship every day, I'm going to do this every day, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to do, 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 do all these things, and then we end up believing and acting like, well, I can act like Jesus, but I don't really need Jesus, I don't need the grace of Jesus, I don't need the love of Jesus, because I can do all the things, and what we do without knowing it is we minimize the work of Jesus on the cross, We disempower the death that Christ died to fill us with power so that we're transformed. So that that, that the heart transformation is the foundation for all of our growth. So that when we do grow, we give credit to God. When we do grow, we're drawn back to Jesus. When we do grow, it's never because of what we've done or what we're doing. It's a result of the grace of God inside of us. Jesus warned the church in Ephesus, In Revelation 2, he says this, he says, I know your works, I see your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He sees all of these good things, all things that Jesus did, all things that he tells us to do, all really, really good things. But he says this, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. You have abandoned me. You've forgotten the love that brought you to the place that created the desire for you to obey me. You've left me behind. You don't live in a way anymore that you need me. You don't live in a way that demonstrates that you love me. And what's most important to Jesus is your relationship, not what you do for him. That's why grace is central. It's central to understanding how we grow is having grace as our foundation. Again, because anybody can do good things. Anybody can practice random acts of kindness and not love or follow Jesus Christ. That's a fact. And so it can't be about what we do when we talk about growing. But what is held up at the standard here, there's a picture of a tree. I was praying about this. this is a great example. What, 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 what? That's a stock photo that I wasn't going to pay for to save you money. So there's like, that's what the big X is behind it, okay? But I don't know, is that illegal to use a stock photo that you don't pay for, but still has the X behind it? I don't know. It's, it's easy to cut and paste, so it must not be. But anyway, so so this is a picture of, when we look at that beautiful tree, it's kind of like us. Show, show, show the man picture, because, you know, the Christians do stuff like this. You're like, yeah, we're not doing that. Turn it back. That looks all kinds of awkward, doesn't it? But anyway, so... In Christianity, we learn to praise what the tree looks like. Look how strong the tree is. Look how healthy the tree is. And that's what we see. And so we, we kind of orient ourselves in a way that we set goals and we set desires in our heart to look right, to act like, to act, to learn to act, behave like Jesus, all the while not realizing that like this tree, the root structure is what gives this tree stability. The root structure is what makes this tree healthy. The root structure, what is unseen, what is happening in the unseen is what is powerful and most strong about this tree. If you take these roots away, what happens to the tree? It dies, falls over, dead. There's no way to feed itself. There's no way to get nutrients. There's no way for it to grow. It takes the stability out of its life. There's no foundation. And we're the same way. We're the same way. And so when I talk about, and we're moving into the series on what does it mean to grow, I'm going to be spending all of our time defining different roots that need to be in place as believers that will help us be strong, that will give us stability, that will ground us. Things in our life that we need to implement that will feed us. All doing things is what I'll be talking about. But if that's all I did, the danger would become that we start checking the boxes again. And we start going through the motions again, acting like. And so what is even more important than the root structure is the soil that surrounds the roots. Because the soil that surrounds the roots is what the roots feed on. It's what gives the roots stability. It's what feed the roots that feed the tree, right? And so for a Christian, for somebody who follows Jesus, the soil is almost the most important thing. Because it's where we plant the tree. And what we need to understand, and what I'm going to speak about for the next four weeks, and I've called it grace, the grounds for growing, is that if our roots are planted in anything but God's grace, our behaviors and our attitudes, even though motivated from a very good place, will lead us into a life where we're acting like we love Jesus but we're not experiencing him. We're not coming back to him. We're not giving him the credit. We're not giving him the credit in our life. So if we stop living with Jesus, living for Jesus, experiencing the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, and we start acting and doing all the, the right things. And so for the next few weeks, I want to talk about grace. And this is what grace says. This is grace defined. Grace declares, this is just like a Bible dictionary kind of deal. Grace declares that salvation is not the culmination of humanity's quest for God, but it resides in the initi- in, 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 initiative, initi- initiative, that's right, right? Of God, initiative, of God. I never used that word. That's a, there's, there's four eyes in that word. How many words do you know with four eyes in it? That's crazy. Anyway, initiative of God toward men and women. God, grace comes to us while we are still in our sins, And brings spiritual transformation based on the accomplished cross work of Jesus Christ. In reality, grace is God's free and loving favor to the ill-deserving. So grace, these are all definitions of grace, okay? But grace basically is, is, is that number two and number three. Grace comes to us, God's love for us comes to us while we are still apart from him, still sinful. We can't earn it, we can't work for it, we can't get it on our own to bring transformation And it's based on the work of Christ, not on anything that we've done. And a a famous verse that kind of supports this is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it says this, Scripture supports, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So again, we can learn to do the right things, but if we believe and if we believe the goal is to check off all the boxes and to act like Jesus, then we, when we're done, if our goal is to act like Jesus, then we don't understand grace. Because what grace does when we understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and grace is at the center of that gospel, we realize that any good work that we do, any behavior that we do, any blessing that we have in our life, any behavior that we can start that makes us look like Jesus any of our financial resources, any, the house that we live in, our education, the fact that we can think well, that we've gone to college, any of those things are a result of grace. They're a result of grace, totally, 100%. And so when you start doing good things, then you're not like checking the box, you're like, thank you, Jesus. And it brings you back to a life, even as you are already a Christian that is dependent on living with And experiencing the love of Christ in your life. But having defined grace, just know this. Grace is something that's better understood as you experience it. So I want to tell you two stories, okay? One is of the Good Samaritan. This is the scripture in the Good Samaritan. Many of you have heard this scripture a lot. Whether you know Jesus or not, it's a very familiar passage in the Bible. And I'm just going to read through it. And he says this. But I want to set the context for it. The context of this is Jesus, this is Luke chapter 10, has just sent out the 72, The 72 have returned, and they tell Jesus, we saw amazing things happening. We were doing all these amazing things. We were doing the things that you've always done. And they were rejoicing in that. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in the things that you're doing. Rejoice that your name is in the book of life. Rejoice, and he's telling them, don't rejoice in what you see and what you do. Rejoice in what I've done for you. Rejoice in my grace and my love for you. But then the next scene is Jesus praising and worshiping the Father. For what he's done, what the Father has done in these disciples. And then the next scene is the good Samaritan. And a a teacher comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him the story of the good Samaritan. That's the beginning. That's what this guy's after. That's what we're all after. What do I do to find life to the full? And this is Jesus' response. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and he told him the story, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by, now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, pouring on oil and wine, and what do we leave? What do we take away from it? Oh, Jesus is telling us to be the good Samaritan. We're supposed to be the guy that has compassion on the person that's hurt. And that's true. Jesus says, go and do likewise. But remember the question. What's the main question? How do I inherit eternal life? And so are you telling me that if, I just, if I'm a good Samaritan, if I do good things to people, that I get to inherit eternal life? Is that really the answer that Jesus is communicating? No, that's not the main point of the story, that, has, that is a sub-point of the story. One of the points of the story is we are to have compassion on those who need compassion, on those that are marginalized, who have been beat up by the world. When other people pass them by, as believers, we're supposed to have compassion. But that's not the main point of the story. And if you miss the main point of the story, you miss where grace communicates in this story the value of God's love for us. This is a grace story. This is a powerful grace story. You are the man on the side of the road. You are the man who's beat up, who's been robbed, who's helpless, who the world's taken to the cleaner. You are the person who's been raped or been pillaged or been abused. You are the person who's been taken advantage of, who's been robbed. You are the person that's been passed by. You are the person that's been left to die. You are the person that's hated. You are the person that's pitied. You are the person that no one has helped. And in your life, it might be the belief or the lie that it's the world that I want. And you go for the world and the glory of the world and it passes you by and leaves you empty. If you're a high schooler in here today, it's popularity or it's fame or it's the relationship that you've always wanted to have. And you get the relationship and it leaves you dead still. Or for some of you, it's being married. I'd long to be married if I could just be married and you invest and go after and it passes you by. It comes, you get married, and you're still dead. You're still empty. For some of you, it's wealth and resources that you find your value and your security that you think will save you. And it too passes you by. Everything will leave you feeling dead, will leave you feeling empty. Until Jesus, the good Samaritan, sees you, not being able to move, left for half-dead. And because of the Father's love for you, moves towards you. And he binds up your wounds. And he heals your heart. And he pours out his love. And he redeems you. And he rescues you. And he takes you to the place to be restored and to be healed. And he pays out of his own pocket. He pays the debt with his own money. He does everything at his expense knowing that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. That's grace. That's grace. Modern day parable. There's a woman in her mid-twenties. This is a true story. So it's kind of like a teaching parable. So a woman in her 20s, she's single. She has a young daughter, and she's gone back to college to get her degree. And randomly, a Christian sits next to her one day. They begin to be friends, and uh, he starts just to encourage her and um, finds out about a Christian concert that's coming up. And so he says, hey... We kind of, kind of trick her like we do with non-believers. Hey, there's this is concert in town. My friend's playing. I want you to come to this concert, right? And so she agrees. His friends babysit for her child. He goes and picks her up. Turns out she's having an extramarital affair. With, you know, She's having an affair with a married guy at the time. And uh, he takes her to this concert. The concert's great. And then in the middle of the concert, or at the end of the concert, Minister stands up, and it turns out to be like a true love waits kind of deal. It's like a 1,000 high school and college kids there. And this minister stands up, just pompous and just getting ready to lay down the gauntlet with these kids. And, he, and the first thing he does, he, he, and, and, and his friend, this guy, is worried now because he knows her past. He knows where she's living, and he's worried because he has a feeling. he's an idea of what's going to happen now. And this guy, first thing he does as minister, pulls out a rose and he, he smells it, he feels it, and he throws it into the crowd. And he says, I want everybody feel, touch, smell the texture, smell you know, get familiar familiarize yourself with this rose. Touch it, feel it, smell it, pass it around. I want everyone to touch it. And then he begins to teach. And then he goes on a rant for the next I don't know how long. Using fear and condemnation to condemn the audience into believing into not having sex, that sex is wrong, that you're wrong, that you're dirty, you don't want to be dirty. You know, saying, you know, you don't want syphilis, do you? They don't have sex. You know, it's all fun and games until you get herpes on your lip. And just kind of using this condemning, sarcastic, belittling message. And his this guy is with this friend of his and it's just feeling awful and awkward and sad and angry. And at the end, he's making his main point, and he says, "Where's my rose? Where's the rose? Where's the rose?" And a kid runs up on stage and gives it to him, and the rose is just all jacked up. It's all broken. The petals are falling off. It's lost its scent. The st- you know, the stem's broken. There's no leaves on it. And this is his crescendo. This is his main point. And he and he looks at the audience, and he holds the rose up, and he says. Now, who would want this rose? Nobody would want this rose. Implying that if you've been touched and you've been giving yourself away to people, that nobody wants you. You have no value. And this friend, this woman's friend is sitting with her, says there was everything in me that wanted to yell Jesus wants the rose. Jesus died for the rose. That's grace. That while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. For our sake, he made him who was with no sin would become sin. That we would know the righteousness of Christ. We would know the love of Christ. We would know Jesus. You are the rose that nobody wanted. You're the rose that's been hurt, that's been broken. And Jesus wants you. Jesus loves you. Jesus this morning has come for you. That's grace. That's what grace is. And when we understand that, We understand that everything we have comes in second to the love and the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I was praying about what God wanted to do in ministry today, I felt like that there are people here that have committed adultery that Jesus has come for. That there are people who have given themselves away sexually that Jesus has come for this morning. That there are people who have lived for the world and have the scars to prove it, that don't feel worthy, this morning, Jesus has come for you. There are students here who have been bullied to believe that they have no value. This morning, Jesus has come for you. There are people here who are steeped in guilt, steeped in shame, who don't believe they have any value. This morning, Jesus has come for you. You're his rose. You are who he loves. He wants you this morning to experience his grace. And so in ministry, we're going we're to come and ask Jesus to do that, to come to us, to minister to our hearts, to experience his love. So why don't we stand? If you'd like ministry, if you'd like to experience God's love this morning, if you'd like the love that Christ has for you, the grace that he's died to give you to be rekindled in your heart, Come forward this morning. If you've never known the love that God has for you, this morning, come forward and receive that love. Begin to follow Jesus. Begin to make him the thing in your life that is the foundation that everything comes from. So why don't we come forward? If you'd like prayer for healing, we'd love to pray for you over by the cross. we like to pray for anybody and, every, anybody and everybody for whatever they want prayer for. So come forward, and we'll have ministry time now. If you're a prayer minister, if you could come forward to pray for folks, that'd be great. We'll all receive it first. Now I'll pray and invite the Spirit to come, and we'll go from there. If this is new to you, we know we have visitors today. This is just this is not like a secret formula that River State Church has. It's just something that we do that allows people to connect what they've heard in their heads to their hearts. We all know that we have the Spirit living inside of us as believers. But it's an opportunity, as Scripture tells us, to ask for more, to be filled, to be empowered with God's love, as Peter did in the book of Acts again and again and again. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit seeps out, but certainly life can cause us to shut down. And this is an opportunity for God to awaken the Spirit in us to come alive. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, and we'll just go from there.